More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to episode 107 of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host for the podcast. And thanks as always for downloading, for tuning in, for listening along. I know there are lots of things you can do with your time. And I always find it awesome when you choose to spend this time with me here on Survivor Sanctuary. Well, before we get into the meat of today's podcast, I want to remind you that you can become a patron of the podcast. It's an incredible way to support what we're doing here at Survivor Sanctuary and to help keep this content coming to you. You can visit patreon.com forward slash survivor sanctuary and you will find a link in the show notes and there you can sign up for different tiers of membership and you get some freebies with those memberships, different perks and benefits depending on which tier you sign up for and recently had a wonderful Zoom chat, got to chat with a new listener of Survivor Sanctuary and I love hearing from listeners and people who are invested in the podcast and have their own stories to share and are there for encouragement and also to be an encouragement as well. We have a wonderful time. So would love to have you join us, patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. You can choose your tier. It starts at $5 per month. So you can support the mission of Survivor Sanctuary and enjoy some freebies as well. Well, you can also join us on our Facebook group. You just search Facebook for Survivor Sanctuary Podcast and you'll have to answer a question. It's a multiple choice question to join the group. Very simple, but I need to know that you know why you're there. So you answer that question. I'll add you into the group and then we can interact there as well. Would love to hear from new listeners, old listeners, and listeners in between. That is what makes this all worth it. And I say that in complete and utter sincerity, hearing from listeners, knowing that they're being impacted by some of the things that we're sharing here on Survivor Sanctuary, make all of this worth it. That's that's literally why I do this. Whenever I turn on the mic, it is because I know that there are people who are greatly impacted by sexual abuse in the church and need a place to just feel heard, I guess, to feel seen, to feel understood, and maybe to get some tips along the way. Whatever you're here for, I just appreciate it greatly and want to thank you. Well, I want to provide a little bit of an update because the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary, we talked about a situation developing in Judah Smith's church, church home, and the fact that they had rehired a credibly accused rapist to be on their church staff against the wishes of this alleged rapist victim. Now, this was just a story that absolutely drove me nuts. And if you listened to the last episode, then you know how I felt about it. Well, literally the day after, I'm pretty sure, either the day that this aired or the day after it aired, Julie Royce posted an update to the story on the Royce report. And it turns out that Braylon Oliver, the man accused 
of rape and who had been rehired uh, resigned from his position. It took two weeks after Julie Royce's initial report for this to go down. He resigned from his position. And I think that once again, we're seeing that public outcry is important. Now, I know we kind of live in a climate where it's you feel like sometimes that nobody can say or do anything. And sometimes people make that into a, a bad thing. And I guess that it can be. I'm not here to say that cancel culture is this wonderful thing and that there's nothing wrong with it. So please don't hear that when I'm saying this. But I think that when it comes to significant issues like sexual abuse in the church, sexual assault, things like this, like this story that Julie Royce was covering about Braylon Oliver allegedly raping a woman and then just going on to be a pastor and then being rehired against her wishes. Like stories like that, like I feel like this is not something that people would throw at it. I'm sure people have done this, but I try to stay away from comments on stories like these because I don't want to get upset. But a lot of times people look at a story like this and be like, oh, it's cancel culture. Somebody did something a long time ago and they get canceled. No, I think that we understand that as a church leader, as someone who is in church leadership and church ministry or ministry of any kind, whether it's, you know, missions or or being a youth pastor or anything, if it is ministry, you're held to a higher standard. And that was something that the victim in this case repeatedly said to Judah Smith's wife and the people who were handling this whole case, the, the church leadership, that he's held to a higher standard because they kept kind of trying to force that forgiveness on her. Like, you just need to forgive. We believe in grace and we believe in, you know, whatever radical grace kind of thing that people are talking about. And we did an episode on that recently. But I think that a lot of that is just, it's just basically smoke and mirrors. It's its basically, we want to hire this person because he's a dynamic speaker, because he's a friend of ours, because of X, Y, Z, whatever the reason. And therefore, we need for you to go away and not complain about the fact that he used to be a rapist. But I agree wholeheartedly with what the victim in this case tried to relay to Judah Smith and the leadership at Church Home. And that is that men like Braylon Oliver are held to a higher standard. You're you're not saying, and this is such an important distinction to make, but it's kind of like the logical fallacy that everybody jumps to. We're not saying that men who have raped someone or even that have assaulted children, although I have great misgivings about whether these people want to change, but we're not saying that these people cannot be redeemed, that they're irredeemable in God's eyes. We're not saying that if someone sexually assaults someone else, that they're beyond redemption. And if somebody does say that, I feel like I would be super sensitive to the place of hurt that they're speaking from, and I would be really understanding and empathetic to that. But I feel like that's not where the vast majority of people are coming from. We're not saying that men like Braylon Oliver are irredeemable by Christ. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is there's a difference between God redeeming you and you being accepted back into the fold of believers if you are truly repentant. There's a difference between that and being allowed to become a church leader, despite the fact that you have been credibly accused of sexually assaulting someone. Those are two very different things. And I think the two are conflated all the time because it makes the argument so much more sound. I really think that that's what it is. Like people will say, well, you're just being judgmental. 
and why can't he be forgiven? God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Well, that's true. But when we're talking about church leadership, it is not the same as God forgiving someone and someone being allowed to call themselves a follower of Christ or to be allowed to be a Christian or to fellowship with other believers. Even that's not the point. The point is that a person like that is disqualified from ministry. And I really find that in the modern church, and I won't say, I want to say mega churches because those are the ones that we see in the press a lot, but my goodness, this is happening in smaller churches as well all the time. We see a complete ignoring of the qualifications for a pastor, which are very clear from scripture. They just are. You know, if you are not above reproach, you're not supposed to be in church leadership. You're not supposed to be an elder. You're not supposed to be a teacher. You're not supposed to be a pastor. Those men, and the Bible is specific also, that people who are teachers are held to a higher standards and few people should be teachers. But it just seems like in churches, in in the modern day church, we ignore this part of scripture and it becomes, okay, well, if you did this, then right now you can't be a church leader. But, you know, once a little time has gone by, And, you know, we can say, okay, well, he's had a little sabbatical and he's repented. Then we can say, it's fine for you to come back on the church staff. But that's not how I interpret that. And that's not how a lot of people interpret it. And when it comes to sexual assault, you're disqualified from ministry. And I don't think that there's any room for even arguing that. There's not. Like, is it's sad that you threw away the talent that God gave you. It's sad that you're this incredible speaker and you're able to just like wow crowds with this amazing gift that God's given you for being able to speak well. It's sad that you threw that away when you decided to sexually assault someone, but you did in fact throw it away and now you cannot be in church leadership anymore. That's something that you forfeited You're right to do that when you made these monumental, I don't even want to say errors because it's not an error, when you decided to do this horrible thing. And I want to remind everyone, not that the people listening to this podcast necessarily need to be reminded of this, but I I want to remind everyone that Braylon Oliver cannot be considered repentant. And that's something else that people are kind of ignoring in this story where they want to defend church home and they want to defend Judah Smith and they want to defend Judah Smith's wife and they want to defend Braylon Oliver. It is basically God's grace and forgiveness are huge. And he's such an amazing God and he turns people's lives around and he gives people second chances and all that may be well and good, but scripture is also clear that there isn't forgiveness without repentance. And something that Braylon Oliver has not done based on the evidence presented to all of us by the victim herself and the attorney who did the independent investigation and a slew of other people, Braylon Oliver is not repentant because he has not admitted that he did anything wrong. He has not admitted that he sexually assaulted his then girlfriend, even though the report that was done after the independent investigation said there was a preponderance of evidence that basically said, really, this more than likely happened. And Braylon Oliver's defense is, I don't have any recollection of that. And that is a refusal to take responsibility for your actions. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'll say this again. The man who sexually abused me as a child was forced by a group of people as a condition for his repentance to write me a letter of apology. 
And I didn't want this letter of apology. It made me feel sick that I was even reading words written by this man. Didn't want it. But it really just kind of rung hollow. Well, first of all, because he was told he had to do it as a condition of his repentance. And to me, true repentance is taking the responsibility on yourself for the conditions of repentance. And nobody has to tell you when you're truly repentant, these are the steps you need to take. And this is the thing that you need to do. True repentance knows exactly what needs to be done, does it, and goes above and beyond. And we don't see that in situations where a man says, oh, I don't have any recollection of that. I mean, that's too easy. It lets you off the hook. Well, gosh, that's not in my memory at all. Well, that is basically the lazy man and probably more importantly, the unrepentant man's way of getting out of taking responsibility for what has been done. So Braylon Oliver is not repentant. Because if he were repentant, he would not be claiming that he doesn't even remember what happened. He would have apologized and asked for the forgiveness of the victim. And according to her statements, he has not done that. According to the investigator, he has not done that. According to the investigator, he claims he doesn't even remember any of this happening. That's not true repentance. So even if you believed that if a pastor were truly repentant, then maybe, you know, if he's truly repentant and he believes he did something wrong and maybe he served his time in prison, so it's totally fine for us to hire him back on the pastoral staff, you know, even if if you wanted to make that argument, okay, I, I disagree with it because I believe that there are some sins that you can commit that disqualify you from ministry. And that kind of a sin, sexually assaulting another human being, the, the, the predatory nature of that crime says to me, you cannot be a pastor anymore and you forfeited that right. And I believe that scripture backs that up. But if someone wants to use that argument and that's where they're going with their beliefs and, and how they see it, fine. But in the instance of this case of Church Home and Braylon Oliver, Braylon Oliver never repented because he didn't admit that he'd done anything wrong. And there are a lot of people who have said that he's a different person now. We, we know his heart and it's so different and yada, yada, yada. Uh, because back in the day when he was accused of sexual assault, he was accused of a lot of other very, very inappropriate things around the same time. And he was in pastoral ministry at that time. So he's committing all of these sins and felonies at the same time as he's pastoring. But we're supposed to believe that he's completely changed and he's just a different person, even though he has not sought to repent for the huge thing that he's done that is the subject of all these articles. So it just bothers me that Church Home has chosen this stance like, oh, well, we have a murderer in our special videos that we play to show that God's grace is, well, okay. But as the victim in this case stated, the murderer whose testimony you're using to make your church look amazing or whatever it is you're trying to do, that person served time. You know, they served the time and they were punished for their crime and now they've repented and they're sorry for what they did. In Braylon Oliver's case, he is not just going to church, but he is on church leadership, or he was until he resigned. And, you know, initially, I wanted to be happy that, like, look, this is what it takes for us to get people removed from leadership. Not as like a witch hunt, which a lot of people claim that things like this are. Not as a witch hunt, but as a protection 
for victims of sexual violence, as a protection for future victims, potential victims, as a protection for people, somebody who had the capability of sexually assaulting a human being ever is not someone who should ever be entrusted with the spiritual lives or the physical lives of sheep. And I think that that should be glaringly, glaringly obvious. Like, man, it's, it's pastors 101. I feel like people say, you know, we're just not sure uh, exactly what the qualifications for ministry are, or it's, there's a gray area, there's this or that. I don't know if people are actually making that argument, but it seems like they are because we keep hiring and hiring and hiring and rehiring people who sexually assault adults and children. And we act like it is the fault of the victims for being traumatized by that. And, and it's not. It's the fault of the perpetrators that the victims are traumatized. But we go back to that, like God's forgiveness and grace, and men can be restored to church leadership if they're repentant enough. And well, first of all, I don't think scripture backs that up. But even if you believe that there are gray areas in the qualifications for pastoral ministry, I think that just a great place to start, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, but a great place to start is if you've ever raped someone, you can't be a pastor. Like that's, I feel like that's bottom of the barrel. That is the lowest bar you can set. You cannot have raped another human being if you want to be a pastor. That's a pretty low bar. I feel like there are other major qualifications that should be met, and I, I will argue for those as well. But as a very, very low bar, if you've ever sexually abused or sexually assaulted another human being, you are not qualified for ministry. I don't care how great of a speaker you are. I don't care how dynamic you are. I don't care if you attract people like moths to a flame and you can get people to open up their wallets and give all the money in the world. I don't care if you are so good at church business and structure and organization and every possible thing that anybody could want in an amazing, polished, shiny pastor. If you have sexually assaulted another human being, you are disqualified from pastoral ministry. You can't be in a church leadership role. The end. That seems like a pretty low bar. And yet it's a bar that is far too high for so many churches. And it's scary to think about. And I'm to the point anymore where it just has me extremely jaded about churches and why they're actually operating. Because it seems to me that if it's more important to you to have this great personality on your staff or somebody you just really like, if that's more important to you than protecting your flock and protecting sheep, then are you serving Jesus? Like, do we serve the same master? Do we love the same Lord? Do we read the same Bible? Because I feel like it's really hard to stretch to where some of these churches and some of these ministries have stretched to in order to be able to justify hiring sexual abusers to their staffs and keeping them there. And so anymore, I'm just, I look at a church and I think, you know, the, the greater the speaker you are and the more expensive your tennis shoes or your watch, like the more I'm just jaded. And I feel like, is it Jesus? And I know that I can't judge the hearts of everyone. And so I try not to do that, but I just take a pause and take everything that's said with a grain of salt. And I don't know, give me 
a preacher that kind of stumbles over his words and isn't the greatest thing in the history of preaching. And that's not to say that people who suck at preaching can't also be child abusers as well, because I'm sure that there are plenty of people like that also. But I just would prefer a humility and an adherence to scripture and a care for the sheep. I would prefer that all day, every day, that someone treats a sheep with care and with love and treats them like God has entrusted this human being to me and their spiritual journey to me. And I am going to handle them with the utmost care. Like give me that any day over somebody who can preach everybody else under the table. Because if if I don't know that you care about the sheep, then I don't care what you have to say to those sheep on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it is. I don't care because you haven't proven that you actually care about people. And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. And and listen, I know that sometimes congregations get big and it's hard for pastors to be able to do every little thing that needs to be done. My dad was a pastor my whole life. And one thing he excelled at was caring for people. He really did. If somebody was sick, he was there. He was at the hospital. Didn't matter what else was going on. You're sick. You're in the hospital. I'm coming to visit you. And then if you're still in the hospital, I'm coming back to visit you. And if one of your relatives dies, I'm preaching their funeral and I'm visiting with the family and I'm, I'm doing whatever I can to help. Um, that was something that my dad really did well in ministry. He was also good at preaching, but he was a person that cared about the people in his congregation. And yes, his congregations tended to be small. And so it was probably easier for him to be able to handle the care of the sheep that were in his particular flock. And so I get it that some pastors have a lot of people in their congregations and they can't be responsible for every single little thing. But let me tell you, if your congregation is so big that you can't be there for people and, you know, somebody loses a parent, loses a child, loses a spouse, goes through some horrible crisis, if you're not able to be there for that person and let them know personally that you're, you know, that you're there for them. I'm not saying that like a pastor needs to be responsible for every single thing that happens to every person in their congregation. But I mean, I've literally sat in churches where pastors brag about the fact that they don't visit people in the hospital when they're sick. Like, I don't do that because, you know, the other people in the church handle that and I'm, I need to take care of the preaching and yeah, it's great. Take care of the preaching. But as a shepherd, you should know the names of your sheep and you should know if they're going through a crisis. Like I, I feel that way. I just do. And I guess that's another area where I kind of get jaded with the big, huge churches where there's a pastor and there are thousands of people and there's no way the pastor can know people's names and there's no way the pastor can minister individually to people. There just isn't, you know, somebody gets sick, they're dying in the hospital. Probably the lead pastor of that church is not going to visit them. And maybe one of their small group leaders will go or, or this or that. And I understand that again, sometimes a pastor cannot be expected to do every single thing, but I will tell you nothing, nothing is more important to a person when they're in a crisis like that than having their pastor be there and say, hey, how can we help? What can we do? Let me pray with you. Let me visit with you. And I know that it's hard. Being a pastor is not easy. I grew up a preacher's kid, and trust me, I know. It is not an easy peasy job. But I think the fact that we get to the point where the structure of the church and church leadership and the brand and the reputation and all this just big stuff becomes what being a church is all about. And so we have to defend our church's brand and we have to do this and that to make sure that 
you know, the service is great on Sunday morning and that we look fabulous on TV and that our hair is must in the exact right disheveled manner to make us look super in touch with today's fashion or whatever it is. Like, it just seems like those things are more important than human beings who hurt human beings who have feelings. And I think that in the case, like looking at this story out of church home, Judah Smith's church, honestly, nobody can say, oh, you really care about your congregation and and the sheep. Because what we saw instead was one of your sheep who has been completely just extremely harmed in a lifelong way is asking you and practically begging you, please don't hire this person who raped me to be on the church staff. Your staff needs to be held to a higher standard. And the church just totally blew past her and did whatever the heck they wanted to do anyway. So this story came out and I think I started to say this and I got off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, which I tend to do on this podcast. And you know, if you've been listening for a while that that's me, I would apologize, but it'll definitely happen again. But at first I was encouraged like, yay, you know, they changed it and he resigned. And that's because we spoke out and people weren't silent about this issue. And people like Julie Royce are speaking out on behalf of victims. And it seems like this big hurrah. But then the other part of me, the more jaded side of me, I guess, and the cynical side of me thinks, why should we have to do this stuff over and over again? Why should we have to be publicly crying out for justice to be done when churches do things like this? Because the victim in this case came forward. She was speaking out. She was literally telling the church exactly how she felt about her rapist being hired back to their staff. And because it was just her voice, it was just the voice of a victim. They felt like they could bulldoze her and just do it anyway and do it in the name of grace and forgiveness and mercy and thinking nobody's ever going to find out because she's the only one complaining. And that's disgusting to me. It just disgusts me. Many things about this story, as I mentioned in the last podcast, have disgusted me. But that's one of the biggest things. Like you have a victim of sexual assault, someone who's just been very affected by what's happened. You have a person who's not even admitting to remembering what happened. So there's no way he's repenting for what he did because he's not even admitting that it happened. And then you have a church that thinks it would just be a really great idea to put him back on the church staff. I mean, would you not have some misgivings? Hey, Braylon. So according to this victim, alleged victim, and according to her story, uh, this is something that you did. And this was a, a really bad thing. And I actually, I actually deleted this out of the last episode. So I want to add it in here that, and I deleted it out of the last episode because I thought I was mistaken. I read somewhere that when this victim this Jane Doe told him, told Braylon Oliver that she did not want to have sex and told him to stop and tried to get away. I deleted the part where he covered her mouth with his hand and raped her anyway. And I thought that I must have read that wrong. It was in my head that it had happened. And so I said it, but then I couldn't find it in the article I was reading back through. And I'm like, well, maybe I just misunderstood that. And so I deleted that out of the episode just to be fair because I couldn't find it. And then after, after I was done editing the whole podcast and had uploaded it, then I found the part. um, It was actually mentioned several times in this article that he covered her mouth with his hand and 
proceeded to rape her. That's that's violent, like and horrible and disgusting. And he's not accepting responsibility for that. And the church thinks that's the kind of person, the kind of person who can just say, yeah, I don't even remember that happening and can just leave this victim without an apology, without any repentance, without any closure. And I mentioned earlier that same thing that kind of happened with me. It just takes away from the genuineness of your repentance. If like in the letter I received from my abuser, that it's basically, wow, did I really do this? I I don't even remember all these years ago, huh? But if you said it happened, it must have happened. Like, give me a break. That's not repentance. And that's not accepting responsibility. That is a roundabout way of denying that you ever did anything. And basically, that is what Braylon Oliver did in this case. And so, yeah, on the one hand, makes me super happy that everybody's voices coming together caused this great change. And Braylon Oliver resigned. But note, he resigned, and maybe the church pressured him to resign. We don't know. We're not going to know what happened behind closed doors. Possibly they pressured him to resign, but they didn't fire him. They didn't say, we made a mistake putting this man back on church staff after he was credibly accused of rape. This was not a good look. It hurt the victim, and we apologize. No, they didn't do that. They didn't apologize. They didn't repent. They didn't say anything. They basically just said, well, he's decided that he's going to resign. So whether they pressured him to do that or not, we're not probably ever going to know that. But the fact that the church didn't think it was a problem they needed to fix is really gross to me. That's disgusting as well. And so while yes, I'm I'm happy that that victims speaking out and that advocates speaking out has changed the situation And now Braylon Oliver, the accused rapist, is not on a church staff anymore where he can hurt more people. Um, Part of me is happy about that. But the other part of me says, why did church home feel like this was a good idea in the first place? Why did they ignore the cries of a victim? Why did they ignore someone who really was pleading with them? Please do not hire this person back. I am not okay with this. I can't sit in church underneath the leadership of a person who sexually assaulted me. They were totally fine and totally okay with ignoring her hurt and her pain. They were totally okay with hiring someone who by all scriptural standards was disqualified from ministry. And they didn't change their minds based on the Roy's report or any other report or people's outcries. Braylon Oliver stepped down. There's nothing from the church that says, oh yeah, we goofed up. In fact, And this is something that I I didn't plan to get into, but since we're talking about it anyway, I will. The CEO of the church, which first of all, I just, my stomach turns when I hear CEO and church, because I don't think that churches should have CEOs. If you, if you're the kind of church that needs a CEO, you're probably the kind of church I'm never going to go to because it is a business. CEOs are for businesses and they're not for New Testament churches, but that's another, another talk for another time. But basically, David Kroll, the CEO of Church Home, was seen in a video responding to Julie Royce's article, and he claims that the article was very intentionally misleading and that it contained factual inaccuracies. And he told people on his staff, and this is the worst part, that the third-party investigation into allegations that um, Braylon Oliver had raped a woman, that he says the investigation found that there was no evidence and it was inconclusive. He literally said that multiple times in this video, that 
the bottom line of the investigation was that there was no evidence and it was inconclusive. And okay, that word and in Julie Royce's article, which I will link to, responds to that by saying that the word inconclusive doesn't appear anywhere in the summary of the investigation. It was a three-page investigation, not one page like David Kroll said. And I'm going to read this quote to you because I think it's important. The attorney who conducted the investigation wrote this on the first page. It is my opinion, taking into account all direct and circumstantial evidence and applying the preponderance of evidence standard that it is more likely than not that on or about October 24th, 2012 in San Diego, California, that after Jane initially agreed to have sex with Braylon Oliver, when she told him to stop, that he was hurting her, Braylon refused to stop and covered her mouth to keep her quiet and continued to act over her clear objections. She goes on to say, based upon these interviews, I find there is a preponderance of evidence more likely than not, that Braylon forced sex with Jane Doe after she told him to stop, you are hurting me. So David Kroll, just talking to the church home staff on this video that, thank goodness, someone had the forethought to record, is straight up lying. Straight up lying to his staffers. Oh, well, there was an investigation. It was only one page long and it literally said there was no evidence and there was nothing conclusive. It was inconclusive. And that's just straight up, straight up lie. And that part just makes me feel disgusting inside as well. I just, when a church cares more about its bottom line, when it cares more about its celebrity personalities, even after they've been credibly accused of sexual assault, um, when it cares more about everything than it does about the sheep under its care. The church model is wrong. It just is. And there's a lot of other stuff in this article, some discrepancies about what David Kroll said and about things that happened in the text exchange between Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith's wife, and Jane Doe. Uh, There are a lot of other things that David Kroll misrepresented in his statements about Julie Royce's article. And it's just, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking sometimes. It's like, you do know that there's a lot of evidence out there now. You do know that these people are quoted. You do know we have access to all of these text messages between Chelsea and Jane Doe. You do know. So why would you not be careful about what you're saying? And the only thing that I can think is that David Kroll wasn't careful about what he was saying because he was talking to the church staff and he was totally comfortable, straight up lying to his church staff and saying things that just, you can't say they were mistakes because they were so very much in opposition to what actually happened. And it just, it's gross to me. And I want to be happy. And I am happy that Braylon Oliver stepped down because I think that it makes church homes safer uh, for the people who go there because they don't know any better. But it doesn't make me feel good overall because I don't think that the church made the right call or the right move in any of this, like before, during, or after, like they have not done the right thing. So I can't feel like this is some kind of victory for victims of sexual abuse. I can't feel like, oh, yay, you know, there's a church finally doing the right thing. No, this guy was under pressure and he resigned. And maybe the church pressured him. We're we're never going to know that more than likely. But the fact remains, the church made the decision to hire an alleged rapist who had been credibly accused and was independently investigated. And it was basically found that, yes, this man is, in fact, more than likely a rapist. And the church did not feel, after initially taking him off the staff, because I do want to remind you, 
He was initially taken off the church staff for several years, but the fact that they brought him back on and justified doing that, I just, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And I don't think that there's any excuse for it. And you can't use God's forgiveness as an excuse because if you used his forgiveness as an excuse to let Braylon attend services, that would be one thing, but that's not what you're doing. You're using that as an excuse to rehire someone into a church leadership capacity where people are under him, where people are looking up to him as a church staffer, not a pastor, but I don't believe that it, that it matters because it's someone who's paid on the staff of a church that is in leadership over people and somebody who has sexually assaulted another human being should not ever be in that position. They just shouldn't. He'd never, if he were convicted, would ever be able to work at a school he wouldn't be able to do. There are so many jobs that this man wouldn't be trusted to do because of that record. And again, the bar is so low. How much lower of a bar can you set? If you want to be in church leadership, you cannot have raped someone. It is such a low bar. But why is that bar so, so, so high for churches like Judah Smith's church home? That's what I don't get. That's what I'm never going to get, that they thought all this was a good idea, that literally a group of people that are supposed to be entrusted with the lives of hundreds or thousands of people, however many it is that go to church home, and they all got together and thought it was a great idea, despite a victim begging them not to do it, to rehire this person who had allegedly sexually assaulted someone. How do you make these decisions and think it's a good idea? And then amidst the outcry, how do you not come forward and apologize? How do you double down like David Kroll did and tell lies to cover up the horrible things the church has already done? That's just gross to me. And so while, yes, I think it's a good thing that he stepped down, the manner in which it happened doesn't give me a whole lot of hope that anything in the church culture at church home is changed or is safe for victims because all this has shown me is they care more about their friend Braylon Oliver they care more about what he brings to the table as the alleged perpetrator than anything to do with the victim she's expendable her feelings are expendable and we can flush her down a toilet for all we care we can pretend to be nice to her but your actions show how you actually feel about the victim. And so that's why when David Kroll says, oh, well, you you took Chelsea Smith's text out of context and, you know, you're not really showing the whole conversation. No, it doesn't matter if she was kind in texts. It doesn't matter if she came across as nice. I don't even want to say kind because that's not the word. She was nice in texts. That doesn't matter. If you're nicely putting a person's rapist in church leadership against their wishes, you're not being a kind person. You're not doing something nice. You're doing it in a very polished way to try and get your own way and to bulldoze a victim and to hopefully keep her from going public. Well, guess what? She went public and good for her and good for everybody else who speaks out. Your actions show not your words to a victim, not the pretty sweet things that you say and the little platitudes you offer up and, oh, oh, Jane Doe, we know that you were hurt, but, you know, we just, 
God is a God of forgiveness and we just want to encourage you to just forgive so we can hire this person back to our staff because for whatever reason we can't live without him. I mean, honestly, seriously, how hard up are you for staff that you need to hire an alleged rapist? How hard up? Something is off there and I will maintain that until we find out what that something is. But it's not the words they used with Jane Doe. It's their actions. It's completely ignoring her when she tells them, I am not okay with this at all, and hiring her alleged rapist anyway. That tells me every single thing I need to know about Judah Smith, about Church Home, about Chelsea Smith. That's all I need to know. And I'm sure that they have some great redeeming qualities, but unfortunately, this speaks louder than everything else to me. And I don't believe that that church is a safe place for victims of sexual abuse or sexual assault. And I think that they've just proven that. In fact, I don't think that they're a safe place for anyone if they're willing to say, oh, oh, did you sexually assault someone in a violent manner while you were a pastor here? Well, you know what? God forgives. We'll put you back on staff and just hope you don't do it again. Ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Tells me everything I need to know. So honestly, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I did not mean for this entire podcast to be like the continuation of this Judah Smith church home Braylon Oliver saga, but I guess I had a lot to say about it. So there you go. Just some more thoughts and a hooray that Braylon Oliver is not on staff, but not really a celebration because I don't think that that church is any safer now than they were with him on staff. I just don't because they've shown exactly how they feel about victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse. And they're not safe. And I think that that's what they've proven through this whole saga. So that's what I've got for you today. I would love to hear your thoughts. As always, you can join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. Remember, just search Survivor Sanctuary Podcast and answer the multiple choice question so you can join. I'll add you to the group. You can chat. Also, become a patron of the podcast to support the work we're doing here at Survivor Sanctuary, patreon.com forward slash Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.